This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 20, 1 through 16, which examines another of Jesus's parables, the workers in the vineyard. Together, we will be discussing God's call to empty ourselves and keep our eyes fixed firmly on Him. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast. Back with you this week to continue our journey through Scripture. Um, as we have been working through Matthew, uh, last week we finished up Matthew chapter 19, where uh, we examine Jesus's speaking with the rich young ruler uh, and really how he uh, called him to to be willing to give up everything to follow him. And as a result, we we talked about this idea about how you know this call of discipleship is a very costly call in our lives to leave everything else behind to focus on him. Uh, this week we're gonna, move forward, but we're going to bring that conversation forward as well as we move into Matthew um, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, where we're going to look at Jesus's parable uh, of the workers in the vineyard. And I believe today we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you go ahead and read that? Yeah. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that they, he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They said, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, go, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the work, last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired came first, sorry, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you've paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. It isn't against the law for me to do what I want with my money. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are not last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. All right. Thank you for reading that. So let's go ahead and just jump into conversation. What are you guys seeing? What are you thinking as we read? So I think last week we left off the rich and the kingdom of God um, where, with the rich young ruler talking about how Jesus was kind of affirming the disciples' decision to leave everything to follow him, that right. that they had taken that step and they had 
they had paid the the price and the cost and were willing to go wherever he went. Um, but this, it's like, and so Jesus affirms them and he says, hey, well done, good job leaving everything. But, right, and so he's going to continue with this parable, um, giving us a, a new picture of what it looks like for these disciples, like what it means to be first, I guess, uh, or last. First as a result of being last. <laughs> yes. And so he's going to re, re kind of define that. I think he probably know, he knows their thoughts, right? Not probably. He knows their thoughts. And so he wants to help move them to this conversation of, okay, so you've, you've given everything. Now it's not, there's not this expectation. You shouldn't have this heart of expectation where you now are going to be declared first. Like that's not what, the, this is not a transaction kind of thing. This is a, you give up everything and you rely on me and you trust me to elevate you as I deem appropriate. Not as you should expect or not what you think you deserve, but as I deem necessary for growth in the kingdom. And so um, I, I think that this, the, it's important for us as we continue in this conversation to really hold these two together. And and even next week when we get into the, the next section of scriptural, we'll probably have to go back and have a similar conversation because I think sure. it all just, it really weaves together well. Sure. I think it ought, in listening, into thinking about that, about, you know, this is a, a continued response to Peter. And, you know, Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you and what will we get? And Jesus does affirm them and say, you know what, you you have, you've given up a lot and, you know, there will be reward but there's this con- continued conversation of that kind of makes me think and makes me look at things as it's more, don't worry about, like, it's your intention. If you're giving up everything just to get something, like you said, if it's just transactional, it really means nothing. But, you know, if we are giving up and trusting and just allowing, you know, whatever God's going to do, he's going to do, um, I think that's what this is more speaking to. So as I read verse two, it really, I found it like a hinge, a hinge point for me. Um, he, he agreed to pay them. This is the NIV. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. And so these are the ones who went first. They agreed to something and they went out. And then as people, as Jesus went back out, you know, in their culture, they would be going around from like, like vineyard to vineyard to vineyard, looking for work, trying to find like work, and so they go from from one to another to another town. They're going from town to town, looking for work, and they they keep striking out. So they're on the move, constantly looking, and so the the owner of the vineyard would know that he could go out at any point. And be able to find someone because they're moving. And as they're getting turned down, they're moving and moving. And so they're coming and they're assuming that they're going to get paid according to the time that they've served. And so for me, I think it's almost like Jesus like wanting to remind the disciples that it's not a time equals a certain amount of grace, reward. Expect like I shouldn't expect that just because I've served more that I'm going to get more because it doesn't change. Like what he has given, what he has done for us, it doesn't change. And so 
I almost feel like as like we come to the place where um, he starts with those who came in last and paying them, that it's almost like we should be celebrating with those who came in last because the reward for them is the same. And we often don't like, that's not how our minds are geared because we think we live in this, like, well, that's not fair. Like if I had a dollar for every time I've heard my kids say, well, that's not fair because they think that, you know, they, they want to be able to quantify. And we kind of sometimes do that too, want to be able to quantify, but I don't know, for me, just, there's something to this. Like they, they knew what the expectation was when they went out, that there was going to be, this was going to be what I was going to get for it. And just because the owner chose to be gracious, they expected that they were going to get more. And how often do I do that? Like expect that because he was gracious with those who came last that, well, I was here the whole time. So I would expect that I should get more. As you were sharing that process, I'm glad you said that. Cause for me, when I read this, I guess I, um, I kind of thought, well, without the context, I guess I was thinking, well, why were they standing there all day? Like <laughs> he clearly came out and offered this to you and yet you continue to stand there. And then when he shows up again, you still stand there. And then when he comes out at five, you're still standing there. And then you have the audacity to say, well, no one hired us. Right. Like, and so in my mind, I was thinking about these people maybe a little bit differently, but although I think the illustration probably still fits even in that wrong, maybe wrong cultural context, but you have these people who have been receiving the call over and over and over and over. And yet, like you said, even those at the last hour, we have to be ready to celebrate, celebrate the lost sheep, celebrate, you know, the, uh, we were talking about the prodigal son, celebrate the coming home, even if it means like it's taken all day, even if it means that you've squandered all of this, even if it means you've caused the shepherd to go on this ridiculous trek to try and find you or save you from whatever it me- whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, and that we we need to be celebrating that and expecting fully that Jesus is going to provide the same reward to to these these people that we so easily write off as being less than. And it didn't decrease the amount that the first workers received. Just because other people came and they worked less and they still got the same amount, it did not change what was, you know, the landowner said, you're going to get the normal daily wage. So he, he, he told them, this is what you're going to get. And that is what they received. So that had no effect on what was being paid out just because other people came. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to kind of think about because we do live in a world where we get paid for what we do. We get paid for the amount of effort, the amount of time that we put in. Um, But the kingdom of heaven, as we have talked about so much lately, is not, it's not like that. And I think that's so important. I think that's part of the reason why he brought the last out first Normally, they would start with those who came at the very first of the day. They would pay them and work their way down, and it would decrease as they go on. But Jesus, you know, he's different. His kingdom is different. He's calling them to something different. And it's just another time to look at the heart. 
and recognize that, you know, if you're going to live in my kingdom, you can't think like the world that you live in. It's going to be different. And so, yeah, we, it can be difficult to celebrate. I guess as I kind of reflect on this passage um, and this parable, the thing that really, I guess, gets my attention is the the response of those first workers that were called out. And it's very similar to the response of the brother of the prodigal son, where they've agreed to something, they were fine with what they were doing until they realized that somebody else was able to do something different all the while and still get the same end result that they were getting. And it was like this bitterness began to set in on them because instead of remaining focused on that which actually mattered, they started focusing on the material things. And that's what led to bitterness being like able to grow within them. And if I think about that in line with last week's parable, or not parable, uh, last week's conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler and then the follow-up with the disciples, like Jesus is saying that you have to put all of this away. Like he's talking to the rich young ruler and is saying, get rid of all of these distractions. And it's not because Jesus is saying you have to get rid of the material in your life. He is saying you have to get your focus on me. And the way you you are going to do that is by getting rid of this material stuff that is preventing you from being fully focused and fully invested and fully following me. And so Jesus has already set the stage in the passage just before this in, in emphasizing how important it is for us to not have focus on things around us, including, you know, family and like parents or spouses or children, because that even is listed after the disciples begin the conversation. And then he talks to the disciples and the disciples say, well, we've already done the very things that the, the rich young ruler that you called the rich young ruler to do. And so what is there for us? It's almost like you kind of hear a little bit, the attitude of the workers in the field that have been there all day. And Jesus, you know, we did say Jesus affirms them and he says, you know, you're right, you have done this and this is what it's going to be. Like, this is the reward. But he follows it with this parable now. And I think that that is super important because he is putting all of, he is putting the reward of the disciples in perspective and reminding them, because again, Think about this. They just came through a conversation where somebody who thought they were doing everything that the law was prescribing for them to do, which they were, Jesus even affirms that in the rich young ruler, is then called to do something more, to empty more. And yet, even in the face of that, their immediate response is very similar to the rich young ruler, which is, well, we've done all that. So what is, what's in it for us? And so Jesus follows it, affirmation, but then follows it with, but don't forget where your focus has to stay. 
Like you cannot live a life that is focused on the situations and the people around you and what they're going to get. If we remember back to what the rich young ruler was called to do, he was called to follow Jesus, plain and simple. So his focus was to be Jesus. And in the same way, that's what the disciples are called to. And yet in this, in the asking of the question, you can see that their focus slightly turns, right? Like, okay, we're focusing on you. So what do we get for focusing on you? (laughs) (laughs) Instead of just saying, we're going to continue to focus on you and trust you. And in the parable that we read today, you see this continued working out of like, make sure your focus remains where it ought to be. Because if you're not careful and you lose sight of me, you will find yourself bitter for what others are getting as a result of the work that you are doing. It made me think of that quote, and I had to look it up to see who um, said it. But um, Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And he was talking about parents and about how if you have multiple kids, you know, don't compare them because you'll lose out on the joy. But I think it's it can be true here. Um, you, It's really, I can see how it would be easy if you worked all day, how you could be bitter, like you said, Nick, and and have just kind of not... I, I mean, jealousy, I mean, cause they're talking, it, it does say, should you be jealous? Um, just have that like disdainment for somebody who did not do as much as you did, but they, yet they still got it. But Jesus is asking us, you know, we should be, I think we, I, I feel like we should just be thankful and like the lost sheep, we should just be thankful that the sheep came back and the sheep gets to enjoy the same reward that we do. And I think I think that's um, the humility that that um, that we I think we've talked about several times is they have to have this humility of you know laying it all down and then you know being gracious when other people come along. It's almost as if he's asking them to not put chains on him that don't exist, like thinking of things in a fairness sense. Um, it's as if. He's, he's approaching them with this, don't, don't put this on me because really in reality, all of you deserve death, but I'm making a way. Um, and so I, I don't know, I, I just, how I keep coming back to the time thing because um, regardless of where you are in this journey, whether you've been here all day, nine hours, six hours, um, or you came at the 11th hour, the reward is the same. And he gets to determine what he gives. Like, it's his kingdom. And, um, I mean, like, he gets to make the rules. And so he he just wants them to to keep the focus on, on him. And as a result of that, like, having a heart that is like his, that cares more about, like we said, the, the, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, that cares more about the other than their self which is what he was asking the rich young ruler to do, care about the other more than yourself. And mm-hmm. so it's like it's like a continued theme except for the disciples, like care about the other more than yourself. Don't worry about the rules and like the like, you know, what culture has set, you know, in place as a practice. When I think about that time conversation, 
um, I guess, bringing the parable into today, oftentimes time is um, indicative or elicits status. There is the expectation that somebody who has been doing it longer is the one that everybody has to be looking to or owes something to or like they somehow get, I don't know, something more special. <laughs> I the, the, the saying that I keep hearing in my mind is, well, you just got to put in your time, <laughs> right? Or, you know, I've, I've put in my time. And I think that there is an element of, of that mindset for the disciples here where they're like, you know, we are putting in the time. And so what is in it for us going back to that question? And Jesus is, is saying it's, it's not about the time. You like, you have got to stop grasping for status. And I, I, I kind of, I want to make that jump because I don't think, I mean, it is about time, but the conversation is not about time. The conversation is about status. The conversation is about, uh, the influence that they are garnering in their work. Um, and Jesus is, is trying to nip that in the bud very quickly and saying like, you've got to stop with this mindset that is looking towards status or looking towards influence or looking towards accumulation because that is not what my kingdom is about. Society back then is, a world away from society today, and yet it is, there is so much similarity that exists. Because what we do, at least what we are trained to do, is to work towards the end of garnering greater influence, obtaining higher status, bringing in more resources so that I can get more things, right? Which then also elevates my status. And so, like, again... The conversation is it, like it centers on time. Time has to do with all of that. It, it is throughout all of that. And yet the conversation really isn't time. It's this status that we are in pursuit of, this influence that we are in pursuit of. And his disciples, I, I, I see that the propensity to also be pursuing that. It's as if Jesus is trying to avoid creating just another sect of Pharisees. Right. Because if they miss this, then they really are just Pharisees. Like they're just Jewish Christian Pharisees. And I wonder how have we done that to ourselves today where we just kind of created this like another group of people seeking status and influence and posturing for position. And that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus very clearly last week and and this week and and the week to come like he has throughout Matthew already at two times up to this point I think talked about his death right that 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 is coming that that is going to be the result of his life this life of servitude is also going to be a life that ends in execution and so it is like this journeying towards submission continual submission and that's very antithetical to the way that we live our lives. And to be honest, it's even antithetical to the way that we are structured as a church. I mean, Natasha, you bring up this, 
you know, idea of, you know, not wanting to just create another sect of people who think that they are over others and lording it over them, right? Jesus calls that out and Jesus is trying to defend against that even here now in this conversation with his disciples as they are going to be setting the trajectory for the church. And yet you fast forward and I know that in our orders as ministers, uh, servant leadership is one of the things that we essentially vow to do. And yet I don't see a lot of Jesus walking around other than when, when it's a show. I don't think I've ever seen a senior pastor wash somebody's feet. I don't see us as leaders leaving behind everything and, and setting aside our positions of influence and looking for opportunities to become less so that we can love better. Instead, we are so consumed with clamoring to try to gain influence so people will listen to us so we can do something or serving our time so that way we can get, you know, the stamp of approval to now you've been in ministry long enough to have the opportunity to lead this congregation. And, you know, in time, as long as you build this church up big enough, then you can move on to the next thing. Like we are so status oriented, even in the church today, we have done the very thing that Jesus was warning against in this parable. We've become so focused on what are we getting out of it that we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and Jesus alone. And yet, just as Jesus was calling and reminding and teaching the disciples through this parable and saying, yes, you know, you have given up everything, but don't forget, I am the one who will do the elevating. You continue to serve and pour yourself out and empty yourself much like I am doing. There's a saying in nursing, it might be in other professions too, but nurses eat their young. So as new, new graduates come you know, the experienced nurses kind of, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, instead of taking somebody under your wing and showing them and, and guiding them, it's more of like, you don't know what you're doing. You're dangerous. I, you know, you're not as good as me because I've been doing this for 20 years. And I think that if we have, <laughs> we have that mentality of, of, you know, you don't know as much as me because you're, you're, you're new or you can't understand because you just got started, or you don't really understand the love of God, then we are, I think we are limiting what God can do. And I think we're putting a cap on what God can really do in people's lives and the potential that they have to change the kingdom with us. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it's known as the kenosis of Christ. And if you read that, everything that Jesus does is this downward movement. He was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he 
came and took the form of man. Like this is a downward movement and ultimately ending in death. That is like the ultimate downward movement, but not just death, death on a cross, which is the ultimate, like lowest of the lowest ways to die. Like Jesus in the life that he lived was a life of continual uh, humility as Brittany brought out and, and submission and, and just like never thinking of himself more than he ought to. And then in the second half of, of, of Philippians chapter two, there, there is this glorification that occurs, but it's not Jesus doing the glorification. It is the father who glorifies the son. And so when I think about it in those terms, like Jesus is calling his disciples to be like him, to empty themselves of everything. And that's all. That's their job. Like There's nothing more. Empty yourself of everything and say, focused on me. Don't worry about what you may get. Don't worry about what somebody else may get. Don't worry. Like, man, maybe we've even done this as Christians because we sit here and we talk about salvation and the need for salvation. And we say, you, you, you know, you need to accept Jesus so you can have eternal life. What? That sounds a lot like we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and put our eyes on the reward that he offers. That's not the life that he's calling us to. We are simply called to a life of surrender and a life of total focus on him. Nothing else. Nothing else. When we when we do that, we're we're just cheapening his grace. The grace that he wants to freely give to each one, regardless of, if we look back here, like regardless of where they came in, regardless of their status, when we, when we shift our focus from him, we, we cheapen the very grace that he wants to extend to each worker. I know I may have said some harsh things and maybe even some sweeping like generalizations, there probably is senior pastors who have washed the feet of people, right? There probably are plenty of people who are serving those around them and who are emptying themselves of everything. But the sad thing is those are the people, like those are not the people that are getting the attention. In the world that we live in today, those are not the people who have what has been identified as the Christian voice in the world. Unfortunately, the, the voice that is recognized as the Christian voice is the voice that is the loudest and looks most like the culture around him. And so all that to say, like, I, I know there are people who are living the life that Jesus is calling the disciples to. And so I don't want to make a sweeping statement that nobody is doing it but we got to do better. And, and I don't want to make the sweeping statement that like a, a specific church organization is wholesale missing it, but I think we can do better. I, I think the, the parable just has to be a mirror, not just this one, but like the teachings of Jesus ha have to be a mirror for us. We have to be able to look at, of what Jesus has said, what he's laid out, 
and be able to look and see if that's what we're reflecting. Because if we're not, then our focus is going to be on, on what we get, not what we give. And like, based on what we've talked about last week, what we're talking about this week, like all he is wanting is for us to just give and leave the results up to him, whatever that looks like. I think the only thing that comes to my mind is, is the, I don't know, the hymn, the chorus, turn your eyes on, on, upon Jesus. I mean, really, that's, that's what he's asking. That's what he was asking the rich young ruler. That's what he's asking the disciples. I feel like that's what he's asked all up to this point in Matthew is just like, turn your eyes on me. I am living out the life that I'm calling you to. And everything else, the wages will grow strangely dim. Like everything else won't matter. Like we won't look at things in the same perspective as the world. So all those things are going to go grow strangely dim because our focus isn't on what we get out of it. Because when we focus on the what we get out of it, we miss all the others who, who are coming along on this journey who are trying to find the same thing, we, we, we miss all that because we turn it inward and we really lose focus on, on Jesus. And as a result of losing focus on Jesus, we, lo- we lose focus on the other. And that's a lonely journey. We even run the risk of when we lose focus of Jesus, we run the risk of causing others to lose focus as well. When you were saying that, I I thought back to, I think it was Francis Chan book. I want to say it was crazy love where he talked about, I forgot how it came to this conversation, but like this, how life is, is all about God. Like that's what our life is all about. And he said something, it, the, the example that came to mind, I'll just say the example and maybe Natasha can help me fill it out if she remembers it. But he said, it would be like when you lose focus of Jesus. So I'm going to bring it into our conversation. When you lose focus on Jesus and start focusing on yourself. So like saying the wages aren't fair or saying, you know, you deserve this or that or the other. It's almost as if, you have been invited to participate in a movie and you go to the set, you are a part of the filming, it's done. Um, and then you go home, you tell everybody, man, I just was in a movie and people are super stoked about it. And so you're like, yeah, the movie's going to be released on this day. You have like a, a movie theater in your town. And so everybody in the town's excited about it. And you rent out the movie theater and you say, you guys have got to come and see this movie about me. It is the best movie you could ever see. And people are amped up because they're like, hey, man, we're friends with you. Like, you're going to get famous. This is great. I'm going to come. Let's go see this movie. And so you go to this movie and everybody's sitting there and watching this movie. And the story is unfolding. And then you realize that after all the editing has been done, all that's seen is a two-second shot of the back of your face as the main character walks by. 
that's completely disappointing and, and deflating. But I imagine that is what this is like. When we take our focus off of Jesus, who is the main character of this movie that we call life, when we take our focus off of Jesus and think that somehow it's about us, we lose it. Like We just completely miss it. Going along with this idea of focus, when we take our focus off of Jesus and we turn it towards ourselves uh, through comparison or whatever avenue, we essentially put ourselves on a throne. We make ourselves God. But I mean, that's that's very much like the, the rich young ruler. It wasn't that having wealth was bad. It was that he wasn't willing to not allow it to be the Lord of his life. Like, having things is not bad. It's the perspective of where we have them. Because, like, we know that anything that we place above God is our God. And so, like, it's so important. Like, it can be so easy to lose the focus. And if we're not careful, we go from serving God to being our own God or making something our, our own God. And I think of this parable, you know, the rich and ruler had, had wealth and that's what he kind of held more important than anything else. And in this parable, it's more of a, my self-worth, I'm worth more because I did more. And, you know, knowing that we have to put that, that, what we think we're worth, whether we, you know, whether it's because we've been doing this for a long time or whether it's because, you know, I gave up more or he forgave me for more or he kept me from more. But we have to put all that aside and realize that it's not about you at all. Right. We're trying to define what we're worth instead of letting God be the one who defines our worth. So then that brings us to kind of our challenge, which is, to empty ourselves, to remove ourselves from any throne we've put ourselves on, to lose any idols in our life, whether it be wealth, whether it be the pursuit of honored position, um, whatever that is, to empty ourselves of those things and then wait patiently with our eyes fixed on Jesus for him to elevate us to the next, to whatever he has next. And so I, I think it's it's important that we have to remove the systems that we have in place because Jesus has defined what our worth is. So if we keep Jesus the focus, Jesus the center, Jesus where our eyes are focused, it doesn't matter what the world tells us our worth is, whether we've been out in the field 12 hours, we've been out in the field one hour. Jesus, your grace is enough for no matter where I'm at, and I recognize like that, that that's enough, that you've defined what worth is. Because without you, none of us are, are worthy. What we deserve was not a day's wage. What we deserved was death. And you took that. And so help us to remove the systems that we've put in place that place value on people. Because as we've learned up to this point, we are all equally valuable in your eyes. 
maybe not everybody has come to the place where they recognize that value yet, or maybe we haven't helped them to recognize that value yet. But you define our worth. And may we keep our eyes on you that we can help others see the value that you've placed on Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.